Well, take your Bibles again to the book of Mark in chapter 1. It's our last Sunday morning in the book of Mark. Uh, last Sunday morning in the book of Mark chapter 1. We will go to Mark chapter 2 in a few weeks. Uh, just so you know what the plan is, we're going to look this morning at the leper and how he was cleansed but unchanged. And then next week we're going to look at um, kind of an answer to a question that's come up a couple of times by a few of you is what kind of evidence can we look for in our lives to know that we are truly a believer, we have been truly born again. And so we're going to look at a couple of different evidences. And in a way, this Sunday's message in the book of, or in, in the life of the leper, is kind of an introduction to that. Let's read together Mark chapter 1, and we'll read from verse number 40 to verse number 45. It says there, A leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out His hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he sternly, that's Jesus, sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city but stayed out in unpopulated areas and they were coming to him from everywhere. Jesus has been traveling around Galilee and Capernaum and the towns and villages preaching the gospel, calling sinners to repentance and faith and obedience to God. His preaching ministry has kind of been authenticated by healings and miracles, casting out demons and so on. And Jesus is looking for and calling disciples, both the formal 12 as well as others, to follow Him. And He has called so far four disciples, the, uh, Peter and James and Andrew and John in there. And their response, their response sorry, has been immediate obedience to Christ. Discipleship is more than simply believing in Christ. It involves obedience. And this morning we are introduced to an unnamed man with a problem so great, so profoundly life-changing that there was literally nobody that could help him. It had isolated him from his family and friends. It had prevented him from worship. And it even prevented him from experiencing and enjoying the most basic of human needs, touch and affection. If you're here this morning and you have a problem... And I think if you don't have a problem, you're probably not here because all of us have problems. Big ones, little ones, small ones, great ones, problems no less. If you're here this morning and you have a problem, then this message is for you. If you're here this morning and you've never met Jesus, then this message is definitely for you. If you're here this morning and you believe that becoming a Christian is as simple as believing in Jesus and everything will be okay, then yes, this message is also for you. I want to set before you this morning four things from the passage. Number one, the problem of leprosy. Number two, the tragedy of the leper. Number three, the glory of the Lord Jesus. And number four, the lesson of the story for all of us. But first of all, the problem of leprosy. But before we do that, let's again ask God's blessing, shall we? Father in heaven this morning, we come before you and we ask you, O oh God, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would minister the word to us. Father, we thank you again for your amazing and abundant grace that you have poured out on us. 
And Father, we thank You for the story of this man who came to Jesus. And he came in such a great way. He came with a great beginning. But Father, sadly, he left with a bad ending. And Father, we pray that we would learn the lesson this morning and learn it well. Father, we ask You that You would change us. That You would meet us where we are. That You would minister to our needs. And Father, You would call us and show us the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we want to see Christ again. We want to see the glory of the Lord Jesus as He reached out and ministered to this man. Father, we ask You for Your blessing and we ask You for Your help this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Listen to John O. describe leprosy. I thought, that's great. Just keep going. You're doing well. Keep, carry right on. Because he had exactly what, he was, what I wanted to say. Uh, Easton's Bible Dictionary describes leprosy like this. It says, it's a disease that begins with specks on the eyelids, and on the palms, and gradually spreading over the whole body, bleaching the hair white wherever they appear, crusting the affected parts with white scales and causing terrible sores and swellings. From the skin, the disease eats inward to the bones, rotting the whole body piecemeal. And Jonah was exactly right. The soft tissue parts of the body begin to fall off as leprosy infects and corrodes away the body. The wonder I describe it as a living death. It was so horrible. And all through my growing up years in the Brethren Church, I used to hear some of the old men would say to us, you know, leprosy is a perfect picture of what sin is. And I hear them go, that's great. How? I, I never saw the point, and they never seemed to explain how leprosy was a picture. So what I want to do this morning is I want to unpack for you what leprosy is a little bit and how it pictures for us the marks and the stains of sin. Leprosy has a number of different issues, a number of different things it causes. Uh, my wife was telling me this morning or this week that leprosy numbs and destroys the ability to feel pain. Often lepers will put their hands on a burning element and they can't, they can't feel a thing. They just smell the burning flesh and realize something's wrong. They'll break bones. They'll cut themselves. They'll wound themselves. And because there's no feeling in there, they literally have no idea it's happening until it's brought to their attention or they literally see what's going on. It numbs and destroys the ability to feel pain. And like leprosy, sin numbs and deadens our comprehension, our appreciation of all the beauty and the glory of God, His creation, His Word, His will, anything. You walk outside, as believers, we look at the world around us, we see the created world and we wonder and we marvel at all of God's glory in creation. Sin numbs and deadens our ability to see those things. Secondly, leprosy defiles with the afflicted with rotting flesh as nerves cease to work and burns, wounds and injuries go unnoticed and untreated. Leprosy renders him unable to function as toes and fingers, limbs and facial parts die and fall off. It's horrible disease. I remember hearing uh, John Baker preaching. I was saying it was just a revolting, rotting disease that this person endured. Leprosy renders the afflicted unable to fulfill their created role of glorifying God, reflecting God's image to our Maker. And just like leprosy, sin defiles and stains and scars us so that we are unacceptable to God and we are repulsive to each other. Isn't it true? Sin separates us because we can't stand the ugliness of that other person. They're offensive. Selfishness takes over and works against each other. Even right back into the garden, the very first sin that's committed. What happens? Selfishness rises up 
and they immediately withdraw from one another and they begin to clothe themselves, to cover themselves up and put in separation there. Sin separates us. Leprosy, thirdly, isolates and separates men from participation in the worship of God. If you read the Old Testament, one of the things you discover is a leper was not allowed to come into the tabernacle area. He was not allowed to come into the temple courts because he was considered defiled and unclean. And just like leprosy, sin separates man from the worship of God. Sin stops us from being able to give up our hearts in glory and honor and worship to God. Sin breeds selfishness. It breeds conflict. It breeds disagreement and separation, one sinner from another. Fourthly, leprosy was treated as contagious. John was saying exactly right. Someone touched somebody else and leprosy spread. Leprosy was a terribly contagious disease in the Old Testament. And the reason why the priests had to isolate and keep that person away from anybody else, because if they didn't, leprosy would just spread through the camp like wildfire. It was treated as contagious. And you know what else? Sin, just like leprosy, is contagious. Sin begets more sin. I remember my dad as a young man. No, I was a young man. My dad was a bit older than me. He remember he used to keep saying to me, you know what, son? Bad company corrupts good manners. What was he saying? The people you hang around with, you become like. And if I hang around men and young men, which I did, who were always getting into trouble, guess what? We got into trouble together. And they used to call my friend Dave and I rebels without a clue because we were always rebelling against authority and we were always getting into trouble. And the reality is, sin is contagious. It spreads. It has an influence on one person or another. I remember in youth group years ago, one of our youth leaders gave us this great demonstration. He said, you know, people say that you become like those you hang around with. And maybe you might be thinking, you know, I can hang around with all the bad guys in my school or all the bad guys in my church because I can pull them up. Well, let me give you an illustration of how that works. And he had me stand on a chair. I don't know why he picked me, but anyway, he picked me to stand on a chair. And he stood beside me. And he was about half my weight. And that's easy to imagine, though. And so he says, okay, you pull me up on the chair and I'll pull you down the, off the chair and we'll see who wins. Well, he's half my weight. And I'll add, he was half my strength. But that didn't matter. He just pulled me off that chair so easily. And the reality is that sin is contagious. It can drag us down. And sin spreads. And just like leprosy that must be treated as contagious, so sin is contagious. It spreads everywhere. Leprosy is a perfect picture of what sin is it isolates and it separates the two things that stuck out of my mind as i thought through this chapter in the life of this poor man was both isolation and defilement he was separated he was completely cut off you know in the near east when two people meet up and they give each other a greeting you know how they follow it up they greet and they hug all right so you go around and you say Good morning, brother. And they would hug, and sometimes they would kiss on both cheeks. So a leper was not allowed to greet anybody else because the custom was, if I was to greet Daryl, Daryl would give me a hug. And if I, as a leper, said, hello, Daryl, he would have that awful problem of, do I give him a hug or not? Because leprosy is spread by that touch. It's isolation. And sin isolates us. It cuts us off from God, and it cuts us off from each other. Sin 
is pictured beautifully by leprosy. If you go back to the book of Leviticus in chapter 13, you'll see there how it describes how leprosy is to be handled. The priest would examine and look closely at the patient, the leper, look at the spot on the skin and to see whether or not it was truly leprosy. One of the ways they would tell is that if the spot considered leprosy on the skin had white hair growing through it, it was considered to be leprosy because leprosy changed the hair white. If it was just ordinary colored hair growing through, black hair, red hair, then it probably wasn't leprosy. But the priest looked and examined. The priest also would then pronounce, he would make that declaration, that determination that the man was a leper or not. And then the priest had the responsibility of isolating that person away from the rest of the camp of Israel. And the sad thing is, the priest had no remedy, he had no treatment, he had no balsam, no salve, no ointment. He had no process that the man could work through or the person could work through to cure themselves of leprosy. All he could do was look at it, recognize it, and pronounce it as leprosy and isolate the person away. Again, leprosy pictures sin. Listen again to Easton's Bible Dictionary. It says this, in Christ's day, no leper could live in a walled town, though he might in an open village. But wherever he was, he was required to have his outer garment torn or rent as a sign of deep grief. To go bareheaded, and I think also they had to be hair was always messed up and messy. He was bareheaded and to cover his beard with a mantle as if in lamentation at his own virtual death. He had further to warn passers-by to keep away from him by calling out, Unclean, unclean. Nor could he speak to anyone or receive or return a salutation since in the East that always involves an embrace. Both leprosy and sin bring to mind isolation and defilement. God who is absolutely holy, pure and clean cannot accept anyone who is filthy, dirty and defiled. And sadly, leprosy pictures sin so well because leprosy defiles the leper and sin defiles and contaminates the person. This man may have had leprosy, but we all, every single one of us have the problem of sin. Secondly, I want you to notice the tragedy of the leper. I want you to notice a bunch of things about this leper. You know what tragedy is? It's a really good story with a great start and a terrible ending. That's right. Somebody starts off so well and they, do, they finish so poorly. Demas, a man in the New Testament, started well. He was walking with the Lord. He was doing so well. And then he departed from the faith having loved this present world. That's a tragedy because he began well and finished poorly. A leper, this man here, began so well and he finished poorly. But I want to look at, first of all, how he began so well. Because it's worth noticing. First of all, the leper came to Jesus. If you remember the dealing for leprosy in Leviticus 13, there's no solution, no remedy, no cure, and so on. The priest could only isolate it. All through the Bible, whenever you see leprosy being cleansed, and by the way, it's never described as healing. It's always described as cleansing, which highlights to us the defilement that leprosy causes. All the times that you see leprosy cleansed in the Bible, it always happens as a direct result of God's intervention. It's only God that can cleanse leprosy. Moses, in the, before the burning bush, put his hand into his robe and pulled it out again. Leprosy, you know, and it would have frightened him. And the Lord said, put it back in your bosom, put it back in your shirt. And he put it back in his shirt and pulled it out again, clean, totally clean. 
It's God's working only. Miriam comes against the, the Aaron and Moses and challenges their authority and she's struck with leprosy. But it is God that heals her. It's Naaman. Remember Naaman? Goes to Elisha to be healed. Elisha sends him off and he dips himself seven times in the Jordan River and he's healed. It's always the direct intervention of God that heals a leper. This man, this leper came to Jesus. Now, I don't know why. What did he hear? What did he see? He couldn't have come close because they wouldn't allow him to come closer. Maybe he heard somehow about the teaching of Jesus. Maybe he had seen some of the things that Jesus had done in healing sicknesses. Maybe he'd heard about the demoniac in Capernaum synagogue who had been set free of the demon. Maybe he heard all these things. Whatever it is. Whatever reason, whatever prompted him, he desperately wanted to be clean and he was willing to come to Jesus to be clean. And the idea of the story is he came up to Jesus as close enough to Jesus to be able to put out his hand and touch him. The man came to Jesus. Notice, first of all, he came in humility. The Bible describes him coming and falling on his knees. Luke's parallel account describes him as falling literally right down on his face on the ground before Jesus. He came to Jesus in humility. You know what? It's possible even with with a problem like leprosy to come in pride, to seeing ourselves as deserving of being cleansed, but not this man. He didn't see himself as deserving. He says, if you will... You can make me clean. He didn't say, you must. He didn't say, listen, I'm an upstanding figure in Jerusalem. Hey, you know what? I am a son of Abraham. I deserve to be cleansed. No, he didn't come that way. He came in absolute humility before God. It's possible for us to see ourselves as unworthy to be saddled with problems that we endure. But not this man. His manner, his stance before Jesus portrays complete humility. Secondly, the man came in desperation. He was beseeching Jesus. The idea is pleading and imploring to Jesus. Remember, by the way, as you read through the Bible and you come across different speeches and different accounts and stories, often the writer will summarize what the speaker is saying in a single sentence. So more than likely, as this man comes running up to Jesus, he's not just saying, heal me or cleanse me as the case may be, and nothing else, he was probably saying it over and over again, please, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He was pleading. He was desperate for Jesus to cleanse him and look after him. He was desperate to have his problem removed. He had experienced enough of his leprosy. He was over it, and he was desperate for it. Notice thirdly, he came in faith. He says to him, you can make me clean. Not if you can, like somebody else said when they came to Jesus. He said, you can. He had absolute confidence in Jesus' ability to cleanse the leprosy. I don't think we appreciate, because we can't see it, what the leprosy is like and how revolting it is. But he looked at Jesus and he had heard something about him. Remember... Mark in his gospel so far has described nobody else being cleansed of leprosy. But this man was convinced that Jesus and Jesus alone could cleanse his leprosy. Whatever the source of his prior knowledge of Jesus, he had faith in him. He was convinced he'd come to the right man, the only man able to cleanse him. 
Fourthly, I want you to notice the leper came in submission to the will of God. He came pleading to be cleansed. He did not come demanding to be cleansed. There's a difference. If you are willing, you can make me clean is a plea. If you want to, you must make me clean is entirely different. He came in full submission to what the will of God was. He had every confidence that Jesus was able to do it. But he came in submitting himself to the fact that God may or may not want to. But he said, if you will, you can make me clean. Listen, when we learn how to pray, this man's way he came to Jesus is a beautiful way to learn how to pray. We pray in faith, confident that God can answer our prayer. We must pray in humility realizing that we don't deserve the answer of God. It's God's grace. It's God's abundant grace that He gives us any answer. It's a God's grace that we can even come before Him to ask Him what we need. It's praying also in desperation, not indifference. How many of us pray like this? Lord, you know, I really need this and, and so on. And, you know, but you know, it's up to you. And, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm easy. I'll, I'll take it or leave it. Not this man. He came pleading. Remember the story of the widow that goes to the judge? And she literally, if I may summarize the word, she nags him until he gives in. She won't let go. She just persists and persists and persists. And it says, finally, he's so frustrated with her, he gives her what she wants. And we need to learn to pray in persistence, not demanding in submission to the will of God, in humility, but persisting in prayer, not giving up, pleading with God to meet the need, to answer the prayer. George Mueller apparently prayed for the salvation of a man for 19 years. Every day he prayed in again and again and again. Apparently, just after he died, the man came to faith in Christ. He prayed all the way to the end, never seeing the answer face to face, but he persisted. We need to learn to pray like the way this man came to Jesus. We also need to pray in submission to the will of God and persistence, but hold those two together. Remember Paul? Remember what he prayed? He said, Lord, please remove this thorn from my flesh. And he asked him three times. And finally God said, no. I'm not going to remove it from you because my grace is sufficient for you. We need to learn to ask for God to do things, but submitting ourselves to the will of God because it may be that God is allowing you to endure something for a far greater reason than all the benefits of getting rid of it. There may be a reason for that. How many of us ask, besides me maybe, who ask for things once and twice and give up? No, we need to persist in prayer. The tragedy of the leper, cleansed but unchanged. And the frustrating point in this whole story, and I actually wrestled for quite a while to try and understand what the message of the whole story is. He comes and he begins so well. His attitude of humility is right. His words of faith are right. His manner of submission to Jesus' will is right. His boldness in coming close enough to Jesus for Jesus to be able to touch Him is right. Hey, maybe he'll become the next great preacher, great evangelist. Maybe he'll become one of the twelve. Maybe he'll go all the way to a cross for Jesus. But no. The question is, what went wrong? Between before he was cleansed and after he was cleansed and he left, something went terribly wrong. You see, he disobeyed the Lord. 
The reason why I called this message the tragic unchanged leper is this. Although he was cleansed from his leprosy, he left and directly disobeyed Jesus' commands. He was cleansed on the outside, but he was unchanged on the inside. And I want us to learn a great lesson from that as we close up. But, but first of all, I want us to go on. I want us to see the glory of the Lord Jesus in all this. Look first of all at how Jesus had compassion for the leper. In the Old Testament, by the way, compassion is described or ascribed mostly to God and His seeing of His people's need and how in compassion He reached out and He met the need. Eleven times in the Gospels it mentions Jesus and compassion. Remember how he wept over Jerusalem? He walking down into not walking down, but coming over the hill maybe and seeing Jerusalem, and he saw it off in distance and he wept over it. Remember how he wept outside of Lazarus' tomb? Remember how he had compassion the crowds who had remained with him for three days? Can you imagine? Well, I'm not Jesus, but imagine anyway. I preached for three straight days, you know, and nobody has anything to eat. And you just keep sitting and listening and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And Jesus, finally, He has compassion on these people because they've been with Him for three days listening to Him, yet not having anything to eat. He loved the people of God. He was moved at the sight and thought of their situation and dilemma. Jesus cares for you and He has compassion on you and your situation. He is not an indifferent, austere, unfeeling, unmoving God. He is a God who weeps. He's a God who has compassion for His people. Notice secondly that Jesus identified Himself with the leper. The touch of Jesus, like His baptism, is a symbolic and significant way of identifying Himself with us. He didn't need to touch the leper. That wasn't required. But He did it anyway. Jesus is identifying Himself with both sinners and those that suffer physical ailments and diseases. Jesus in time will be made sin for us, as Jonah was mentioning. He will take the utter repulsiveness of our sin upon Himself and bear the punishment of God against it on a cross. Jesus suffering under the scourge and cross brings us our healing, our spiritual healing, but also our physical healing. Thirdly, I want you to see how Jesus was gracious to the leper, as John was pointing out earlier. The touch of Jesus was unnecessary. The spoken word of Jesus was sufficient to cleanse him. Other stories of healings in the Bible where Jesus says, go your way, your faith has worked. The, the servant, I think it was, the centurion, was made whole. Others, the daughter of Jairus, go your way, your daughter is living. I think it's Jairus' daughter. I can't remember. But there's times in the Bible when Jesus issues a spoken word and healing happens, even off at a far distance. He didn't have to touch this man. But it was an incredible sense of grace that he touched him. It's also something else. For that little that leper standing there with his rotting flesh and his, his thing over his beard and his clothes torn, his hair a mess, his head uncovered, to feel the touch. And I don't think Jesus kind of went like, that and touched him I think Jesus put his arms around him and embraced him and he hugged him he touched him it was a foretaste of what he would begin to experience after he had been cleansed of leprosy it was just a little taste of what he was going to enjoy restored to his family and friends it was a taste of what he would enjoy every time he saw a friend and gave a greeting in the marketplace and they would meet and greet and hug each other embrace each other it was grace you know what? 
for all of us who have received the grace of God. We know what forgiveness is. This fellowship like this is just a little tiny foretaste of what it's going to be like when we get back face to face with the Lord Jesus. He was gracious to the leper. Jesus cleansed the leper with a spoken word. It was His delight to see the effects of sin portrayed beautifully by leprosy, undone, cleansed, and washed away. It's a beautiful part of the story, and it answers a fundamental desire of ours. Listen, you can come here every week. I can take a poll and say, okay, what are all the problems that are experiencing in this church? Marriage difficulties, maybe uh, broken relationships, health issues, financial issues, uh, oh, you name it. I could pick up 20 different problems in the church and still miss 15 more or 30 more. There's all kinds of problems. And I could try and preach to address every problem in the room. And the problem is that your problem might not come around for 20 weeks or so. You have to keep coming back to try and hear the solution to your problem. But instead... What we can do is instead of trying to solve every problem in the room, is we can point to Jesus, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is able, who is sufficient, who is gracious, who is loving, who is kind enough that He wants to deal with every single problem. Some of you got a text from me last Sunday afternoon saying a man or somebody, I don't know if it was a man or a woman, was texting me all afternoon. No, I shouldn't say all afternoon. It was about an hour and a half, maybe two hours. And he was asking all these questions. I have no idea who it was. I have no idea where they came from. I don't know if maybe it was somebody in the church. I didn't have their phone number. But somebody was texting me and talking about a tremendous problem that they had and the likelihood that God would send them to hell because of their problem and their inability to get over it. And I said, listen, I don't know what your problem is. I haven't heard it. You haven't told me what the problem is. But I can tell you right now, no matter how big, No matter how small, no matter how great, no matter how wide your problem is, God is the answer. It's obedience to God and trusting God. That's the answer to every single problem that you have. The Scriptures have the answer and the Scriptures testify to Christ. You got a problem? Who doesn't? Right? Maybe it's a relationship breakdown. Maybe your wife has become cold and distanced. Maybe your husband refuses to open up and communicate. Maybe it's a boss at work who makes your life difficult, especially because you're a Christian. Maybe it's a health issue that you're struggling with. Maybe it's a loss of a loved one. Maybe it's a child, a son, or a daughter that's become estranged. Maybe it's a huge decision that you must make and you know there will be difficult consequences involved. Maybe it's a business or a financial problem. Maybe it's an addiction that you simply cannot break. Whatever your problem is, the answer is Jesus Christ. Do exactly like the leper did. Come to Jesus. He alone has the omnipotent power to resolve the problem. He alone has the wisdom to untangle the most complex and craziest of problems. He has compassion on you and your situation. He has abundant grace in His kindness with which He will deal with you. Come to Jesus in faith. Trusting Him. Come to Jesus in humility. Come to Jesus in submission to the will of God. Come to Jesus in desperation and persevere in prayer and pleading before the throne of God. This morning, if you do nothing else, I want you to see the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ cleansing this leper with a word. And I want you to know and believe that He's able to resolve whatever your problem is. 
The last thing I want you to notice about the Lord Jesus is this. I want you to notice how He called for obedience. Having changed Him on the outside, He now wanted to see if the leper desired more than just physical cleansing. Would the leper, motivated by love for His cleansing Savior, obey Jesus' instructions? I don't know about you, but if you found somebody that could resolve a problem that nobody else in the entire surface of this world could resolve, I think you'd have a bit of love for that person. Would you not? It would seem so. I would think so. But this man, he's tested because Jesus calls him to obedience. He says, don't say anything to anyone. The verse literally is in my NASB. Say nothing to anyone but. And the word but there is the word Allah. And it's the strongest contrast possible. So instead of saying nothing, don't say anything to anybody. Instead of that, go immediately and show yourself to a priest so that the priest can see and the priest can recognize that you have been cleansed. That was the keeping of the law. The law required that. Jesus did not come to ignore or set aside the law. He came to fulfill it. He did that by obeying it. Jesus was also showing the priests that the Messiah was present. Listen, only one had the ability to cleanse leprosy. God alone. So when that man came walking up to the priest who had been looking at him for years now perhaps and saying, you're still a leper, you're still a leper. And all of a sudden the man goes, hey, it's me. Look at me. All gone. Totally clean. No white hair anymore. No scaly skin. No rotting holes in my body. No fingers falling off anymore. I'm cleansed completely. The Bible describes leprosy cleanse occasionally like skin of a little baby. It's so perfect, right? That leper standing before that priest would have said, Look, it's me. And the priest would have said, How in the world that happened? This man named Jesus. He touched me and he spoke a word. I was cleansed. And the priest would know they would know who Jesus truly is. He is a son of God because only God can cleanse leprosy. But what did the man do? It says, but again, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city but stay in unpopulated areas and they were coming to him from everywhere. You say, hey, you can't blame that guy. Come on, have a little... What are you being so hard for? That poor guy, he just got cleansed of leprosy. I can imagine going, hey, look at me, it's me. And just everywhere he's going, telling everybody he can meet, I am used to be a leper, but I'm not a leper anymore. There's a part of me goes, oh, you're being hard on a guy. But you know what? I'm not. Because disobedience to the direct command of God is a great problem. And here's the lesson for the, of the story that I want us to pick up. Listen, being a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Christ, is more than just being cleansed from leprosy, which pictures sin. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is about both cleansing from sin and a radical change within. It's not just about being forgiven of sin so you can carry on living any way you like. It's not discipleship. Jesus in the whole chapter is going around preaching the gospel and calling people to repentance and faith and obedience to God. This man, he cleanses him from his leprosy and he goes out and disobeys immediately what Jesus just told him to do. He was changed on the outside. He was cleansed on the outside, but the inside remained unchanged. If you're here this morning 
and you believe that becoming a Christian is as simple as, listen, ask God for forgiveness and everything will be okay, just carry on living the way you want, you're wrong. I'm sorry, but you're wrong. A disciple of Jesus Christ is being cleansed from sin, absolutely, but it's also a life of obedience. Absolutely. Becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ is about both cleansing from sin and a radical change within from self-centered, God-hating disobedience. That's what it is. It's self-sacrificing, God-centered obedience. It is the work of God in us to change us. He gives us a new spiritual birth. We're born again. Change from the inside out. He gives us new desires. It's not my will anymore, but it's God's will be done. He gives us a new obedience from being self-centered to being Christ-centered. Listen, this is really important, so don't miss this, okay? The work of God in us is when He imparts the call to obey, He simultaneously imparts the power, the ability to obey. So when Jesus said to the leper, go, don't say anything to anybody, and go, show yourself to the priest, it wasn't like it was outside the leper's ability to do it because Jesus, in calling him to obedience, imparted the ability and the power to obey. You say, how's that possible? I can see someone frowning. How does that work? Well, I'm glad you're asking that question. That's a great question. Because it is God who works in us both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Right? So if there's in your heart a desire to be obedient to God, you're saying, you know what? I just want to. I want to read my Bible more. I want to stop this habit that I know is sinful. I want to start doing the things I know are pleasing to God. That desire is there. Why? Because you drummed it up? Not sorry. It doesn't work that way. God works in you both to will. And so the very fact that you hear that call to obedience and there's a desire to obey is because God is at work in you. And that man heard the message. He heard the word of Jesus. The idea there is he sternly warned him. He gave him a thorough, strong warning. Listen. Don't go to anybody. Don't say anything to anybody. But, strongest contrast, go to the priest and show yourself to the priest. And the man, but, he goes out and proclaims it freely. He directly disobeyed Jesus' command. Now I can hear in some of your brains, and I don't love I can actually literally hear, but you know, I can see some of the brains spinning. Wait a minute. Obedience is impossible. Nobody could could fully, completely obey Jesus. If that was the case, we could all be saved by our own obedience. You're right. Which is why it goes back to the same point again. It's God working in us both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Discipleship requires cleansing from God and obedience to God. Look, the whole book of Romans backs that picture up. Romans 1-11 to tells us and explains to us all that God has done to cleanse us from sin and make us right with God. And what, what does Romans 12, 1 do? Therefore, I urge you, I beseech you by the mercies of God to present... Oh, wait a minute. That's obedience. 
Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed. That's obedience again. Romans 12 through 16 is all about living the Christian life in spirit empowered obedience to God. What did Jesus say? It's not those who come and tell me that they've preached the gospel in my name, or they've raised the dead in my name, or they've done this and that and the other thing in my name. It's those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. You say, but yeah, but this leper, come on, man. He went out and preached the gospel to thousands. You telling me that's a problem? Yeah, it is. I heard this a few weeks ago, and it just made me stop and think really hard. If God has called you to be, I'll pick an architect in a business somewhere downtown, preaching the gospel every day to one person so that one person gets saved, one person gets saved. If you go out instead and plant 35 churches from here all the way to sale, you are still disobeying. That's what God's called you to do. If God has called you to preach the gospel, to somebody and you disobey, you're still disobeying. Remember Saul, King Saul in the Old Testament? I know this is probably hard to get through your head around. King Saul in the Old Testament, what was he told? Go to the Amalekites, take a sword and kill every one of them. All of them. Kill all the animals. Don't leave a single thing alive. Nobody drawing a breath, nobody pumping a heart. Nothing. Kill them all. And Samuel goes out to meet Saul. He's returning from the battle and he hears all the rejoicing. And Samuel's going... I'm sure I can hear sheep bleeding. I'm pretty sure I can hear donkeys. I'm pretty sure I can see people that are not dressed in the Israelite garb. And he see greets Saul, and Saul comes toward him. Hey, praise the Lord, I've kept the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel goes, so why am I hearing sheep bleeding? Who's this man beside you here? Oh, that's the king, Amalek. Or, what was his name was? Agag, you're right. It's Agag, the king of the Amalekites. Uh, but Saul, God told you to kill everybody. God told you to kill all the animals. And you say, come on, that's a whole nation. Surely God accepts 90% obedience, right? No. You know what the tragedy for Saul was? At that moment, God said, your kingdom has been taken away from you. Somebody will take your place. And he lost all the blessing of being king because God desired obedience. And I can still hear in the back of your mind you're saying, yeah, but obedience, perfect obedience is impossible. I want to tell you something else. It's so key to all of this. Listen, truth number one here, it's so important. Christ has perfectly kept the law on our behalf. If we are in Christ, His obedience is ours. Does that mean I can carry on disobeying any way I like? No. Let me give you an illustration. Roaring down the freeway, okay, driving at, I'd say, 150 kilometers an hour. This may never, may never have happened to me. Driving down the freeway at 150 kilometers an hour, and one of the city's finest asked me to stop on the side of the road for a little discussion. And so he stopped on the side of the road for a little discussion. I get out of my car, he gets out of his car, and we have a discussion. And I plead with him for mercy. I plead for him for grace. Come on, surely an officer of the law in the state of Victoria can have grace on this poor creature doing something. And the police officer says, okay, you know what? I'll let you off. And so I get back in my car and I turn the car on. He gets back in his car and I stand on the accelerator because now I've lost time. And I put it all the way to 200 kilometers an hour and I boot down the highway to get where I'm going. 
if he catches me again, do you think I'm going to get away with it again? No. I probably the story's not true. Just just a story, but just to illustrate a point. Being forgiven of sin without the accompanying striving to be obedient to God is being forgiven for sin and turning around and going out and doing the same thing over again. Carrying on and sin. What did Paul say? Paul said this. He said, what should we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he used a phrase in Greek that just strikes fear. Make an oito. No. Never. Can't be. Not happening. And the reality is this man, this poor leper who came, he came and he started off so well. He came right before God. He came saying the right things. He came doing the right things. He came with the right attitude and the right submission to God. And he was cleansed of his leprosy. But he turned around and he walked out of there. And he went and he went and did exactly what he wanted to do. He was not willing to be obedient to the one who had cleansed him. And the reality is for us is if we're going to claim that Jesus Christ is our Savior, if we're going to know what true salvation is, it's not just being forgiven of sin. It's also living a life striving in the power of the Holy Spirit to be obedient. You have a desire in your heart to obey the Lord. You feel it there and you want to do it. Listen, that desire is put there by God. So put out your hand. Open your mouth. Take the step. Do whatever it is necessary to be obedient to what you know God has called you to do and the very time that you begin to exercise that strength to do it you know what it is God working in you not just to will anymore but also to do he gives you the strength to do the obedience are you going to obey perfectly no you're not you're going to make mistakes you're going to stuff it up and you're going to go back to God and you're going to seek forgiveness and you're going to find forgiveness and grace with God yet again But the point is this, being a disciple of Jesus Christ is more than about just forgiveness. It's about living a life striving to be obedient to all that God has called us to do. It's realizing that God is working in us. Listen, you don't do one single thing in obedience to God without the enabling power of the Spirit of God. You don't do one single thought comes to your mind without the Spirit of God working in you to bring it out and do it. The question is, Are you really a believer in Jesus Christ? Are you truly born again? Because a lifestyle of consistent disobedience says you're not. And the Bible says it, not just me. But a lifestyle of striving to put away sin, to put off sin, to live the new life, to live in Christ, seeking the things above, setting our mind on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, a lifestyle of living in obedience to Christ is proof that you are truly saved and born again. And we're going to look next week at a whole bunch more evidences. So I want to ask you as we close up, where do you stand before God? Are you like that leper? who came looking to be forgiven and set free from all the marks of sin, but tucked in the back of your mind is the idea that you're going to carry on living just the way you want to anyway. If that's your idea, I'm sorry, I want to break some bad news to you. That is not discipleship. That is not salvation. Because salvation involves forgiveness of sin and a life of obedience to follow. Jesus is not Savior and then sometime later Lord. It is one and the same thing at the same time. Does that make sense? All right. Would you stab me with a prayer? Do we have one more song, Jonah? Let's pray and we'll close.
Father and our God, we give you thanks again this morning for the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you that by His stripes we are healed. Spiritually healed. And physical healing is available too, Lord. And Father, we give you thanks this morning for the story of this leper. And Father, the struggle to understand that how He began so well and finished so poorly. Father, help us all to take time out to stop and consider, are we truly born again? Are we truly disciples of Jesus Christ, living by faith in Him, living, striving to be obedient to all that He has done, recognizing, O God, that it is You working in us, both of the desire and the doing of it. And Father, we ask You to help us Father, we plead with You for this church. We plead with You, O God, that there are some here this morning that have gone through life so far believing that they are Christians and saved because of a simple forgiveness of sin but without any desire to live in obedience. Father, we plead plead with You that You would work in their hearts, challenge them, confront them, O God. Father, we plead this because the tragedy will be if they go all the way to this great white throne The tragedy of hearing those words, depart from me, I never knew you. Father, we thank you that Jesus gave us that great test. It's not those who do all kinds of things in his name. It's those who are obedient to the will of his father, you. Father, we ask you for help. Father, we ask that you'd make this message stick in our hearts and our minds. Father, deal with us in the truth from this chapter and this passage. Father, we ask you these things and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.